In this message, we look at seven key aspects of ministering healing and deliverance from the ministry of Jesus and attempt to draw lessons that we can use in ministry. We talk about the will of God, the exercise of faith, the flow of compassion, the flow of the anointing, the issue of sin and salvation, the methods Jesus used, and the nature of supernatural healings. Be blessed. Okay, you ready to spend time in God's word? Yes? Okay, I know it's very hot there. <laughs> hot and stuffy. Let's stand to our feet, make a declaration, uh, and then we'll get into God's word. So if you brought your Bible high up in the air, uh, put your Bible high up in the air and say this out loud, bold and strong with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am what God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, Our objective in this whole series here uh, is to uh, equip all of us in this whole area of ministering healing and deliverance. How do we bring healing and deliverance to God's people? So our objective here is to talk about this whole subject of healing and deliverance for us to learn how to minister healing and deliverance to other people. And, uh, and, uh, and in the process, we also want to address uh, certain questions uh, that could have been, you know, that we probably had in our minds a long time about this whole subject of healing, deliverance, address those questions. Uh, provide answers from the Bible. This is what the Bible would say and speak uh, towards that question. And, and, and so talk about those things as we uh, go along. Um, we've covered up to um, chapter 2 and we are at the beginning of chapter 3 which is on page 105, the Father's works. Now this morning we will not, uh, or let me put it this way, this morning we will do a quick run through chapter 3 because we actually talked about the Father's works uh, several months ago before we started this series on ministering, healing, and deliverance. We spent a couple of Sundays talking about the Father's work. So I don't want uh, to go through that whole message in detail. Just do a quick overview. And then we will spend our time this morning in chapter 4 when we talk about learning how to minister healing and deliverance from Jesus. So let's do a quick overview of chapter 3, the Father's works. And I just want to summarize that. You could follow along with me. I also want to encourage you uh, to please study this book at home. Study it. Study God's word. Uh, let it get into your heart. Uh, meet in small groups if you can. And study the word of God together. Uh, if you want to start a prayer group and study it, that's great. Uh, use this resource as, 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 uh, however you would like. Alright, the Father's works. What we understand in scripture is that the Lord Jesus said that he came in the Father's name to do 
the Father's works. He came to do the Father's works. And the Father's works, as he put it, was the healings, the deliverances, the miracles that he did. That's what he referred to as the Father's works. And there were certain things that Jesus said about the Father's works, which are important, and we want to look at it. And also, we want to look at the life of Jesus and see how he walked with the Father in order to do the Father's works. So that our goal must be, I want to walk with the Father the way Jesus walked with the Father, so that I can also do the Father's works. So that's our motivation in studying this. And, and the fact is that uh, the Lord Jesus said this. He said twice, uh, once in John 17 and again in John 20. He said, as my Father sent me, I am sending you. Meaning, I'm sending you to do the same works that the Father sent me to do. So really, you and I are called to do the Father's works. All of us. So, what did Jesus say about the Father's works? Uh, page 105, moving forward from there. Uh, in page 106, and I'm just going to quickly uh, uh, review this. He said on page 106, that from John chapter 5, that he said, uh, the Father's works were a more important witness to who he is or who he was than the testimony of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was the greatest Old Testament prophet. And he pointed to Jesus and said, this is the Lamb of God. But Jesus said, the works I'm doing, the Father's works that I'm doing, are a more important testimony to who I am. They're more important than the words of a prophet, the Father's works. There was a time when John the Baptist himself doubted on who Jesus is. I mean, can you imagine, you know, Here's John the Baptist. He's the one who baptized Jesus in the river Jordan. He's the one who saw the, uh, the, 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 the dove descending on Jesus. Uh, he's the one who pointed Jesus and, sa- uh, Jesus and said, this is the Lamb of God. He's the one who introduced Jesus to the world. And when John the Baptist is put in prison, he starts doubting. And he sends word through his disciples saying, are you the Messiah or are we supposed to look for somebody else? Hey, John, this is a little too late now. <laughs> you already introduced Jesus to the world. It's too late to ask this question. But can you imagine that a great prophet also doubted? He doubted. And how did Jesus respond? He didn't say, hey, John, man, don't you, didn't you realize the dog coming down on me? John, don't you remember that? Don't you remember the voice that you heard saying, this is my beloved? Jesus didn't even talk about any of those things. The only response Jesus sent back to John was, John, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the the, the poor hear the gospel. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Jesus pointed to the Father's works. Even to John, when he doubted. He could have pointed to so many other things, but he didn't. He pointed to the Father's works. Um, Page 108, Jesus said, I must do the Father's works. And he talked about healing the, uh, the blind man. Uh, in, uh, in John 10, when the Jews came to Jesus and said, Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Um, uh, page 109, 
uh, Jesus said, the works I am doing, they bear witness of me. So when people asked him, can you, can you give us a proof? You know, are you the Messiah? Tell us plainly. He said, look at the works. They are pointing that I am the Messiah. He pointed to the Father's works uh, as people questioned it. Even to his own disciples on page 109 in John 14. Uh, even his own disciples, after being with him for three and a half years, they're asking questions like, uh, you know, Jesus says, you know, I'm going to my father's house. They're saying, oh, you better give us the address. Because still today, Lord, you've not shown us your father, nor your father's house. And now all of a sudden you're speaking things like, do not let your heart be troubled. I am going to my father's house. And in my father's house there are many mansions. But till today, you haven't shown us the father, nor, the, nor your father's house. And you're telling us, I'm going to the father. So give us the address. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the See, it's in that context that he's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then they're not yet convinced. And he says, like, just one thing. Show us the Father. You're talking about the Father's house and all that. Show us the Father. And then Jesus says, don't you realize, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then in that context, in John 14, he says, if you, you either believe me for what I'm saying, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. John 14. So even to his own disciples, he says, believe me for the sake of the works. And then he says, the works I'm doing, it's the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. So believe me, because of the works, the healings, the miracles. So, for Jesus, doing the Father's works was very important, and it was an important proof to the world to authenticate who he is or who he was. The point I want to bear on our hearts is this. That today, we must see the Father's works with that same kind of importance. And we must desire for the Father's works to be manifested so that the world can see that and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the same thing. Now, the next part of that chapter is we talk about how did Jesus walk with the Father? Um, we highlight several things in that chapter, page 111. He was in the bosom of the Father, simply meaning he walked in the intimate presence of the Father. He spent time with the Father. Intimacy with, with the Father was very important for Jesus, to be with the Father. And out of that place of intimacy, he revealed the Father. And so that calls you and me to walk with that kind of intimacy with God. Out of that intimacy with God, we reveal him to the world. Uh, Page 112, he walked in the assurance of the Father's love. And it's important for us also to know that we are greatly loved by the Father. Jesus said, as my Father loves me, he loves you. Meaning, the Father loves you the same way he loves me. And there is no difference there. Uh, He drew strength from doing the Father's will. That was what motivated him. That's what sustained him. I'm doing the will of the Father. That energized him. We must be energized with that same uh, motivation. I'm doing the will of the Father. Page 114. Uh, uh, he, he said, I do what I see the Father do. Page 115. Not my will, but the will of the Father. Uh, he said, page 116, as my Father teaches me, I speak it to the world. And he walked in step and in timing with the Father. 
I, I, so that's how we walk. He said, I only do what I see the Father do. I speak what I hear from the Father. I walk in step in time with Him. I follow His timing for my life, where I go, what I do. I, I'm just yielded to the Father. I do His will. And uh, he was confident in prayer, page 119. He said, Father, I know you always hear me. I believe you and I can walk in that kind uh, of prayer life uh, with the Father. Page 120. So you and I are called to walk with the Father the way Jesus did and are called to do his works. You know, we've, we've gone through this before, so I'm just quickly reviewing. I read this chapter over and over again. Just to, you know, I motivate myself to encourage myself to say, I must walk with the Father the way Jesus walked. Amen? I want to encourage you to do that. We are called to walk with the Father the way Jesus walked. And to do the Father's works the way Jesus did. So soak this chapter in. Just study it. Let it settle in your spirit. The rest of the time, we're going to go to chapter 4 which is where we're going to spend our time this morning. I want to talk to us about learning to minister healing and deliverance from Jesus. That is, we want to look at the way Jesus ministered healing and deliverance, kind of an overview of his ministry, and learn some key facts, key things from his ministry. I've borrowed the first five points uh, from a sermon by Randy Clark. Uh, some of you may know who Randy Clark is, and he's a, a, healing, a minister who ministers healing and um, has an apostolic ministry. Uh, and he preaches a sermon over and over again called The Thrill of Victory. Uh, and that he mentions these five points, the first five points. Uh, and then he uses illustrations from his ministry towards those points. So, what I did was I just borrowed those five points, then I went back to the Bible. And I took out illustrations from the ministry of Jesus and then formed uh, the message. And then I added two more points to it. But I think uh, these these seven points that we'll talk about this morning uh, gives us a little understanding of how to minister to people. Right? Now, there are principles in the Bible based on which we should minister healing and deliverance. There are principles, and we will mention them, and we will study them further in the weeks to come. But, and we see Jesus ministering based on these principles. But what we also see is that there are times when he violates these principles. That means he goes outside of the boundaries of these principles, and he does things, well, it's not according to what's the norm. We call them exceptions. So there are the norms by which we God would work and we should normally move and operate by. But keep in mind that there are exceptions. When God steps out of the norm and does something that we know is, is okay, this is not the normal way, there's an exception. And so when we minister, we also should be open to both. That means we would normally do it this way, but we were not locked into that norm because we know God's bigger than the rules he made. He will step out and do something exceptional. That's the sovereignty of God. He's just moving outside of those principles. And so we must be open and and, and allow room for that as well. So let's talk about these seven things. Number one is the will of God. 
What do we see Jesus do concerning the will of God in his ministry as he ministered healing and deliverance? We see that, uh, you know, first of all, he eliminated any question about God's will through what he said and did. So if people had any doubts in their heart that maybe God's will is not to heal me, he got rid of that. There was a time when a leper came to Jesus and said, Lord, if it be your will, you can make me clean. And Jesus' immediate response was, I will be clean. So he said, see, I don't want you to even question my willingness. I am willing. So he eliminated any question about the will of God through what he said and did. And secondly, He demonstrated that God's will is to heal all who came to him in faith. So that's the norm. All who came to him in faith, he ministered healing. Like we said, he never made any excuses. Oh no, you should have come here yesterday, man, at the women's conference. The anointing was really strong, you know. He never made those kinds of excuses. Or, you know, man, today there's only 50 people God wants to heal. The first 50 get healed, the rest of you... Too bad, see you tomorrow. None of those kinds of excuses. He never made any excuses. All who came to him in faith, he healed. And so the scripture records over and over again, he healed them all, everyone who came. So the only re- the requirement there was, all who came to him in faith. That's the norm. But yet, page 124, even though it was God's will to heal everyone, Yet, he did not heal at random. I mean, you don't see Jesus walking over to Jerusalem clinic, cleaning the place out, then going to Jerusalem hospital, cleaning all of them, and then going to, you know, the Jerusalem multi-specialty clinic, cleaning all of them. Uh, You don't see Jesus going randomly and just cleaning out all the places. You don't see him doing that. He did not heal at random. Was it God's will to heal everyone? Yes. But, He healed those who came to him in faith. And he did not heal at random. For example, look at this. In John chapter 5, Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda where the Bible says there's a number of sick people and uh, important people, paralyzed people lying around the pool. And he walks up to this one man and asks him, Will thou be made whole? Now, this man is not even in faith. And he is not even having any kind of faith. Because when Jesus asks him, do you want to be well? He replies, he says, you know, I don't have anybody take ready, you know, ready to carry me and throw me into the pool when the water is stirred. None of that. Uh, he, that's what he responds. He doesn't say, oh, you are the son of God. You've been healing many people. I've been reading about you in the newspaper. I've been watching you on television. You have come to me. Yes, I'm ready to be healed. He doesn't respond that way. There's no faith. Nothing. And yet, he heals that one man. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. The man is healed. And then Jesus leaves the place. What about all the other people? Why not heal all the other people? Jesus' response was, he says later in the chapter, in John chapter 5, verse 19, 20, 21, he says, My father has been working and I also work. The son can do nothing of himself except what he sees the father I do only what I see the father. So father wanted that one man healed. Heal, walk away. So he didn't heal at 
random. So what's the norm? The norm is God's will is to heal everyone and God will heal everyone who comes to him in faith. So what must we do? We must teach the word of God, encourage faith in the hearts of people and encourage them to come and receive by faith. That's the norm. And yet, we must understand that we don't heal at random. We just simply don't go around randomly healing people. And the exception is that sometimes even if people are not in faith, God says, I want that person healed. You go and heal. You minister to that person. Do you understand that so far? You with me? The next thing we talk about is the exercise of faith. It's connected to what we just said. Faith and compassion are probably two most important things that you and I must have in our hearts as we minister to people. And we encourage people to come in faith. And so on page 126, you find over and over again, the Bible records that people came to him in faith. And everyone who came to him in faith, he ministered to them. Uh, you read about the Roman centurion, uh, the paralyzed man who was brought in by his four friends. Uh, you read about the woman with the issue of blood who touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Two blind men, he said, you know, according to your faith, be to you. The woman from Cana, uh, Jesus said, daughter, great is your faith. And her daughter was healed. Uh, you know, so many people came to him in faith, uh, received. So that's the norm. The norm is faith makes the connection. We must have faith in God to receive that healing. And we encourage faith in the hearts of people. We also see that unbelief stopped the power of God. So when Jesus went to Nazareth, his hometown, both in Mark 6 and in Matthew 13, the Bible says he could not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. He couldn't do many mighty works because of their unbelief. So it stopped the power of God. So that's the norm. The norm is let's build faith by the preaching of God's word, by the sharing of testimony, encourage faith in their hearts, encourage people to believe God and to receive healing and deliverance. But there are exceptions. The exception is that there are times when people have no faith and God still heals. Are you with me? There are times when there is no faith and God still so going back to the same paralyzed man in John 5, Jesus asked him, Will thou be made whole? And his response is not one of great faith. He just says, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. But that man is still healed. Then, you remember the story of this man uh, uh, who brought his son and was lunatic. You read about it in Matthew 17 and, and, and Mark 9. Uh, you know He has a bad experience because he brings... Uh, his son to the nine disciples of Jesus. Three of them are with, away with Jesus. He brings him to nine of them. And they, you know, they must have all ganged around this guy. And they couldn't deliver him. So when Jesus comes, he's been, he's, he's had a bad experience with church already. Right? And, 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 and Jesus comes there and, 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 and he says, Lord, if you can do anything, please help my son. Jesus responds and says, if you believe, all things are possible to him who? And then he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Meaning, God, I mean, I tried with nine of your disciples. They couldn't do anything. So, I, so his faith was shaken at that moment. And Jesus still requires faith of him. And he admits to unbelief. But the Lord still delivers the boy. So what's the point? 
The point is this. The norm is we must exercise faith in ministering healing. We must encourage faith in, the, in people who come to receive healing. Encourage faith. But even if you don't, do not sense faith, great faith, even in your own self while you're ministering, or in the faith in the hearts of those who have come to receive healing, minister anyway. Because there are times when God just works out of that norm. God will move in spite of the lack of faith. There are times he does that. So still minister anyway. Sometimes you may not feel great, great faith. And somebody comes and says, look, this is the condition. You know, I've gone to, I've gone to you know, so many hospitals, so many doctors, and I've gone through all these people who prayed for me. And after every pastor has prayed for me, I've only become worse. So you have come to you now. And like, when you hear that, those kind of stories, like your faith just goes out the window. Like, man, you've gone to all the best people. Now you're coming to me. What to expect? But what do you do? You just minister anyway. Even when you feel like you don't have that faith, just minister. Because there are times when God just moves in spite of the lack of, He moves. The norm is yes. God is asking us to work, operate by faith. But don't let that hold you back. Page 127. The flow of compassion. Here again, the same thing. The norm is... That we minister out of compassion for people. So when you uh, minister to people, there's got to be love and compassion in your heart. And that's how Jesus ministered over and over again. You'll find the Bible saying Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed the sick. He was moved with compassion. He taught them the word. He was moved with compassion. He fed, um, the five, you know, he multiplied the five loaves and fish and he fed the thousands of people. He was moved with compassion for people and that motivated him. But what happens is you also find situations where, where this is on page 128, the exceptions, where there are times when Jesus most likely was not in a very compassionate mood. For example, imagine you know, you're coming up to service on Sunday morning and they give you so much problem of where you park the car. You go park the car and the guy blows the whistle and says, move it there. And, and he's, he's like, man, doesn't he know I'm the pastor, you know? And, and then you move it and he blows the car and says, no, move it that way. And, and, he and by the time you've gone through that whole thing, there is no uh, sense of deep compassion. You know? You're almost feeling like shouting at that guy, scolding the guy. You get out of your car, you bang the door, and then you're trying to get back in the state of spiritual feeling because now you've got to come and minister to people. You know, just imagine that. And that happened to Jesus, just a little differently. When he was going into the temple, he found all these money changers and people who sold dows at the entrance of the, of the temple. And then the, the next description is that Jesus overthrows these tables and he, he takes a whip and he, he's chasing them off. Now, don't tell me he went and gently pushed the table. And, you know, no. I think there must have been a lot of energy and emotion in that whole thing. Now most paintings of Jesus are paintings of Jesus the shepherd. You don't have even a single painting of Jesus with a whip, you know. That may not sell at all, you know. But that was fact. He must have been emotionally angry and upset with all these people doing all these things outside the temple. And so you find Jesus doing this. This is Matthew 21. What is the next thing you see Jesus do? The Bible says he goes into the temple... And imagine Jesus, you know, he must have been sweating, all agitated, all of that. 
uh, and all his nice, you know, preacher's coat, whatever he was wearing, all in, uh, off the place. And the Bible says, the blind and the lame come to him in the temple and he healed them. That wasn't a very compassionate moment, but he still ministered healing. Think of the time when the Canaanite woman comes to Jesus. You know, she must have sent him 150 SMSs. I'm coming, please pray for me. You know, and the disciples say, get out of the way. She, she somehow makes a way past the disciple, comes to Jesus and she's troubling Jesus. And Jesus is speaking theology to her, you know. I am not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she's like, I don't care about your theology. I want my daughter healed. You know. And, and finally, Jesus says, I can't take, you know, I can't take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And says, Forget it, dogs are no dogs. I want the crumbs that fall on the and it's not a very compassionate setting. Uh, you know, and yet at that moment, he ministers healing to this woman's daughter. So the point is this. The norm is you find Jesus ministering out of compassion, but you also find that there are moments when he was most likely not in a very compassionate frame of mind, and yet he still ministered healing to people. So, for you and I, what lesson can we take? Simple. When we minister to people, the norm is we must minister with great compassion. But the fact is, when you have 50 people in a line waiting to be prayed for, the first 10 people, I mean, you put in a lot of energy, a lot of compassion. And you're done with 10, you're like, you feel like totally exhausted. God, 40 more to go. Saying, God, have mercy. You don't feel too much compassion. You just want to, you know, pray for all the 40. And you're just going through it. You may not feel a lot of compassion, but you still minister any way. Why? Because God still loves them. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what your emotional state is, God still loves them. And he will minister to them. Right? So the flow of compassion. We must minister to compassion, but we human beings, we feel tired. Ah, there are time moments when you may be agitated emotionally, but you still minister. Why? Because sometimes, in spite of the fact that you may not feel compassionate, there is a God in heaven who is very compassionate towards people. Amen? Are you with me? Learning? Alright, few more, I'll finish soon. The anointing of the Holy Spirit, 129, page 129. The same thing here. The norm is we depend on the presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we uh, uh, attempt to create an environment that is full of faith and where we could sense the anointing of the Spirit and flow with the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the norm. But there are exceptions where there will be moments when you don't feel anything. You feel just totally natural. No sense of anointing, no sense of heavenly presence. And think of, you know, many cases, there are times when the Bible says, for example, Luke 5.17, it says, you know, Jesus was ministering and the power of the Lord was present to heal. So the anointing was present. But then there are environments where Jesus ministered where you would never have felt any anointing. For example, he was walking through the dusty streets with all the crowds of people pressing around him. And you ask Jesus, you know, do you feel very anointed? He said, no, I'm really sweaty. All these people are bumping in me. I don't feel very anointed. There's no choir singing hallelujah. None of that. And yet in those moments, 
For example, this woman comes and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. The Bible says, virtue went out of him and healed her. So was that a very heavenly moment, very anointed presence? Nothing. There's a crowded place with people bumping at Jesus and it must have been dusty and hot and everything. And yet, in that moment, the power of the Holy Spirit went through him. And like that, you have many instances. There's another time when Jesus was in the house and, and there were all these Pharisees and they're all sitting and trying to find fault with Jesus. And he, you know, he probably felt a hostile environment. And Jesus was grieved in his spirit because of the kind of people around him. And yet in that place, he tells a man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand and he heals him. So what's the message here? The message is simple. There are times, whenever possible, we try to create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to move. We try to sing the right song. We try to get people in faith. We try to come prayer and all of that. Have the right atmosphere so that we, could, we can have an atmosphere conducive to the moving of the Spirit. And that's good. But you will not always get that. Most of the time you won't get that. Most of the time you'll be out there on the street. You'll be in your office, in your college some place where you cannot call, you know, the, let me get the worship team to play the right song. Nobody's there. You are there. The office people are there. They have all these questions about the Bible. And you need to pray and minister. So even when you and I do not feel anointed or feel the anointing of the Spirit, we minister anyway because God's Spirit works through us independent of our feeling and our sensing of His presence. Amen? So you minister anyway. Don't worry whether you feel anointed or not. How about the issue of sin and salvation? 131. How about that? What we see in the ministry of Jesus is this. There are times he heals the person and then deals with the issue of sin. There are other times when he deals with the issue of sin first and then heals the person. And there are many cases where he just doesn't talk about it. He just ministers healing. For the For the man in John 5, the crippled man that he healed, he healed him first and later on he told him, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come on you. So he healed him first and then dealt with the issue of sin. For the paralyzed man was brought in by his four friends, the first thing he said was, son, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, rise, take up your bed and walk. So in that case, he dealt with sin first, then ministered healing. And in many cases, he never even addresses that. He just ministers healing. What's the point? The point is this. Don't create a formula saying, first they have to be saved, only then they will get healed. Jesus didn't do that. He did it both ways. So sometimes when you're ministering to a person, You may just minister healing first, then deal with the issue of sin and salvation. Sometimes you may deal with the issue of sin and salvation first, and then minister healing and deliverance. There is no fixed formula. Both are open. Do whatever the situation permits you to do. Of course we know that salvation is Ultimately, the thing that we're going after. We want the person to be saved. And so we will not neglect that. But as far as healing and deliverance is concerned, it can happen both ways. Either way. Are you with me so far? Yes? 
majority, all the people that Jesus healed in his earthly ministry were not saved. Nobody could be saved until Jesus died on the cross. So he still healed them. He didn't make salvation as a requirement for healing. Last two points. I'll be done quickly. The methods Jesus used. You do not find Jesus using only one method to heal people. He used all kinds of things. There are times he lays, hand, he lays his hand on people. He touches people. There are times people touch him or touch his garments. There are times people, Jesus tells people, rise, take up your bed. and it, you know, He tells them to do something. Sometimes he, he just declares a word saying, it's done. Go home. Your son lives. Uh, there are times he spits on the ground. He makes clay and he puts it on a blind man's eyes. He didn't heal all blind men that way. Just now and then he did that. There are times he put his spit, touched his tongue, and he put his spit on another man, dumb, mouth, dumb man's tongue, started speaking. At times he stuck his fingers into the deaf man's ears to bring healing. So he did it in so many different ways. There's no set method that he fixed himself. So what's the point? The point is this. As far as methods, just do whatever you can. Whatever is available at that moment. If it's convenient to lay hands, lay hands. If it's not convenient to lay, if you cannot lay hands on the person, it's okay. Just speak healing from a distance. That's also fine. If you uh, want to pray over the phone, that's fine. Want to pray over a cloth and send it, that's fine. Whatever, right? It's not the method that's important. It's the Lord who brings healing. The last thing, the nature of supernatural healing. This is page 135. Whenever Jesus ministered, we see that his healing, his ministry, except other than one recorded instance, the healings were immediate, they were complete, they were verifiable, and they always glorified God. So they were immediate. Immediately, people were healed. They were complete. They were completely cured. They were verifiable. Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. Let him check you out. And they glorified God. Now, we understand that when today when we pray, we may not see that same standard of healings. Sometimes we pray, it takes some time for people to be healed. Sometimes they receive partial healing, all of that. But our goal is to press into the same standard that Jesus ministered in. Amen? That we say, Lord, if that's the way you did it, we want to do it the same way. We want to rise up to that standard. We want to keep pressing in until we see those same kinds of things. Right? We want to see healings that are immediate, they're complete, they're verifiable, and of course they bring glory and honor to God. Amen? Tell a neighbor, he's finally done. <laughs> what do we learn? From the healing ministry of Jesus? About the will of God? Yes? It is God's will to heal everyone. But we don't just heal at random. We invite people to come and receive by faith. Concerning faith, yes, the norm is people must have faith. But then there are exceptions when even when there's a lack of faith, we minister, God still heals. The flow of compassion. That's the norm for us to minister to compassion. But uh, there are times when we don't feel Compassion, we still minister. The anointing of the Spirit, 
the normals, we would try to feel the anointing and minister according to the anointing. But sometimes you don't feel anything. You minister anyway because the Holy Spirit can flow through your life. It, the issue of sin and salvation. Sometimes you talk about it before. Sometimes you talk about it after. It doesn't matter. God can do it both ways. Uh, the methods, God uses any kind of method. Don't, don't limit yourself to only one way of ministering healing. And the healings, the nature of healing, we want to press it press into the same standard that Jesus had. Amen? Let's stand to our faith. So the encouragement here this morning is, while there are norms that we work, by, work with <clears throat> when we minister healing and deliverance, there are always exceptions. As we move ahead in the weeks to come, we'll talk about some of the practical ways you and I can minister healing, and, and I encourage you to do that. And as we talk about these things, Keep in mind that we're not locking ourselves into any method, particular way. Because there are norms, but there are also exceptions. God is bigger than, 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 than the things that we, we say he would normally do. He's bigger than that. He works uh, outside of that as well. And so we want to be open to the way God works. Let's call our worship team up and we'll just take a few moments to pray. Close. I just want you to pray this morning that God would use you to bring healing, to bring his healing and his deliverance to people around you, that God would use you to say, God, I want to be used by you to bring your healing and deliverance to people. Our city needs to see the greatness of our God, and we must demonstrate Jesus in the city. So would you pray and say, God, use me. Father, we just pray this morning that even as we study, as we learn <clears throat> on how to minister healing and deliverance, God, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you will use each one of us. Set up opportunities, just create things in our lives that we will be able, Lord, to demonstrate the power of God, to see people healed and delivered. That mighty things will take place even through our lives. God, in just normal everyday settings, whether it's in our schools or in our offices or God out on the street or in the malls, wherever God, in normal everyday settings, that you will empower us, you will work through us to bring healing and deliverance, Father. That all of us will come back with stories, with testimonies, of seeing God work through our lives. That seeing God use simple people to do mighty things. Father, we pray you will use each one of us. Stir our hearts up, O oh God. Stir our hearts up. Even as we go from this place through the course of this week, we pray you'll use us, Lord. Use us even more. Use us even more. Even more, God. We just pray and say, God, use me even more to touch lives, to bring healing, to bring deliverance, to see people come into the kingdom of God. Use me. Use me, God. Father, we just thank you. And also right now, we just... Let's take a moment just to pray for God's healing. And in this place, I want to encourage you to put your hand on your body. 
the place that you want God to touch if it's possible could you do that if there's a need in your body just put your hands on that part of your body where you need God to touch and heal just as an act of your faith and and say lord i i want your healing words to flow through this part of my body to bring healing here bring deliverance to god just just do that if it's possible put your hand on that part of your body when god to touch let's just pray let's pray together i want everyone just praying here saying god let a healing word to flow in this place lord let a healing word to flow in this place father even this place over everyone who needs healing we ask for your healing to flow we ask for sickness and disease to be removed and healing to come lord in the mighty name of jesus in the mighty name of jesus we <clears throat> ask for your healing to come let there be healing in the name of jesus command tumors and growths just to disappear in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ command tumors and growths just to dematerialize and leave bodies right now in the name of Jesus let a healing flow oh god even through joints and the arthritis is is this affected those joints let a healing flow releasing people from all the pain Let that yoke of arthritis be broken, and I rebuke that spirit of arthritis in Jesus' name. Release, be released, be released now in the name of Jesus. Lord, let your healing words flow. Let your healing words flow, God. Let your healing words flow, and every every other condition that we may not have named, but God, you know the need. We ask for your healing. We thank you, God. We thank you Father. We thank you. We bless you God. We praise you. Praise you. Let's just sing a song I believe you're my healer. And then after we close I believe you're my healer. We sing that. And I believe You're my healer And I believe You are all I need You sing it all And you believe You're my portion And I believe You're more than enough for me Jesus, you're all I need You're more than enough for Lord Oh, sing, I believe And I believe You are all 
up his countenance on you and give you his peace in Jesus name Amen God bless you have a great Sunday we'll be back in our regular auditorium next week God bless we trust that this message was a blessing to you we'd love to hear from you you can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.